Hi, and uh, welcome to this episode of Shades of Green, uh, Chicago, our environmental, um, environmentalist of color podcast. Um, I'm Juanita Garcia. I'm Bryant Williams, the uh, Rocky to Juanita's Bullwinkle on this podcast, and our guest this week is uh, um, our good friend and colleague, Sarah Naiman. Yeah. Hi, guys. So, so, um, so I'll, I'll introduce her, if you don't mind. I, um, I met Sarah through a, a mutual friend and um, actually a, pr- a mentor for her at uh, Loyola University. I think you were just fin- wrapping up the environmental justice mm-hmm. program at Yolo- Loyola when we met. And actually, um, no, 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 I'll take a step back, because we actually met, you did a research project on the Southeast Environmental Task Force, amazing environmental justice organization (laughs) based in the Calumet region, over 25 years of work, and, you know, their board board president's a very, very bright guy, I just, you know, I'm just throwing that out there. So, um, you did a research project on the Southeast Environmental Task Force, and I think it was specifically about Pet Coke? Yeah, Um, Um, so I, it was for one of my undergrad, um environmental advocacy projects um i was looking at the way that the southeast environmental task force basically used like advocacy Mm -hmm. methods and um, got access to media and kind of analyzed their process and their effectiveness in addressing the pet coke issue on the southeast side um and so then i met brian at an eoc meeting Mm -hmm. um, eoc is the uh, environmentalist of color yeah, you know, for um, first-time listeners. And he said he worked for the Southeast Environmental Task Force. I was like, oh, my goodness, can I show you this thing that I wrote out? <laughs> um, and, and that's how it, how it all began, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. 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 So, actually, no, well, that's not really how it all began. What oh. brought you to the environmental field? Like, Oh, that's funny. Um, so, I guess, if we're going way, way back, I really had... Um, an interest in social justice, mm-hmm. um, and so trying to deal with injustice. I grew up kind of in a in Humble Park in the in Chicago, which is kind of a rough area sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really whereabouts, if you don't mind. Oh, I was by like Kimball. between North and Armitage on, and basically like right down Kimball. Oh, okay, so yeah. more the north, more the, the north, northern, yeah, the northern side, okay. yeah, okay. Um, but. I thought that the best way to, like, deal with social injustices was to become a lawyer was, <laughs> and also watching way too much Law & Order. <laughs> um, realized later that is not a good justification for law school. Um, but as a kid, like, I always liked being outside and, um, and kind of, like, being in nature. And um, so when I took a, a class in high school that really got me interested in environmental issues and kind of, like, how dire... Uh, we need to take action towards mm-hmm. environmental things. Um, and in college, I just ended up taking environmental classes and really enjoyed them. And halfway through university, they're like, hey, you're um, you're kind of almost done with this environmental major and nowhere near close finishing your poli-sci degree. <laughs> so maybe you should take take a hint. And um, I switched focus. And, Where'd you go to yeah. high school? Uh, Northside Prep. Oh, okay. Cool, um, cool. Yeah, the north side of yeah. Chicago. Yeah. And then you went to Loyola University, right? Like Yes. I so, didn't start there, but yeah. that's where I finished. Oh, you didn't? No. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I started at Northeastern um, oh. Illinois University oh. for a couple years okay. um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. This was kind of when I was fumbling. I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to be a lawyer. Um, and for finance stuff, it's just a lot cheaper to start somewhere, get your gen eds done. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when I found out, oh, I was still thinking law school, and I thought I should finish at a place that'll be easier to get into law school, so I switched to Loyola. Mm-hmm. And after the first semester, I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, yep, I'm gonna be in environmental, um, yeah. environmental work instead. Yeah. Um, I kind of shifted that way, um, especially because they focus. I'm really interested in people. Right, um, right. So. I, I guess that's a little bit different from, from some people that I've been exposed to, so I'm really interested in... Um, within the environmental field? Within the think? environmental field. So Loyola's program had a lot of the social sciences, so looking at oh. economics, policy, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sustainability in general, and kind yeah. of like at a macro level how individuals mm-hmm. are engaged with the environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. I mean, yeah. you know, I because um, my, my philosophy is always, that, and then, you know, I am a scientist, not a very good one, but you know, my philosophy has always been that the environmental sciences, environmental sciences, the perfect amalgam, amalgamation of the natural and physical sciences as mm-hmm. well as the social sciences. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I like that um, you pointed that out, and that they they really focus on that at Loyola. So mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So that was um, 
And then I, I started taking like some um, engagement classes where uh, you basically have a project with a, a small group to better like the local community or work with mm -hmm. um, local members. Um, so what year did you enroll at Loyola? 20, 2011, 2012. It was mid-year, mid okay. mid-calendar or okay. academic year. Cool. Yeah. And so that's right around when they, they were really like knee-deep in their um, kind of their focus mm -hmm. changing to more social justice and oh. really, you know, really, um, I think that's the, the IES, the in Institute for Environmental Environment Sustainability, yeah. was like in its emphasis stages right around then, right? Yeah. And it just opened up? Um, it actually opened <clears throat> up the year, my senior year, we were the, my class was the first class to graduate okay. under the Institute of Environmental Sustainability. Okay. Um, so we were a small class of 14. Wow. Um, but I guess since then it's really kind of blossomed yeah. from what yeah. I hear. Yeah. And you graduated in? 2014. Okay, 2014. Yeah. Wow, seems so long ago. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not talk about that as I'm reflecting on the work I still need to do from that. But, um, yeah, it was um, it was really cool. And I think what kind of solidified my work in the environmental field was I had a final senior project, sort of an independent study, um, that we got to study anything that we wanted. Um, and so I came to, um, to this one professor, Tanya, and she uh, kind of ran with her with an idea of, hey, I really want to look at minorities in the environmental movement. Um, because despite Loyola's best efforts, even in um, just like the media that they were using and examples that they had in all of our environmental classes, mm -hmm. even the composition of professors and students, mm -hmm. it felt like myself and this one other guy were the only minorities in the mm -hmm. entire program. Who, um, do you remember that other guy's name? Oh, Kevin. He oh. was um, Filipino. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was the, I don't think I've met Kevin. Kevin Bautista, I think. I don't know. Ooh, I don't remember his last name. Right. But um, but so we kind of had this feeling of uh, sort of, I guess, isolation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was really interested to see if that was the case elsewhere, and if so, understand why. Um, and so I did this undergraduate project that looked at um, specifically Latino participation because I'm Latina. Um, and would have never guessed from the no. Uh, <laughs> you can't this no. <laughs> Nobody ever guesses, and I, I guess yeah. that's that's one thing as well. I yeah. you yeah, can no, say no, no, that no. I'm I blessed. The, uh, or... Yeah, no, I actually pick up the accent like sometimes you know when you're speaking, but I think because we've known each other so, so long, long, you know, we, you know yeah. we talk a lot. So. But that's something that I that I get as well though is. Um, being biracial is, mm -hmm. I mean, it can go one of two ways. You can look more yeah. more of one than the other, and so I'm half white and um, half Puerto Rican, and my name doesn't doesn't really ring <laughs> Hispanic. Um, I look, everybody says I look Jewish, which is <laughs> ironic. <laughs> I don't even know where that comes from, but <laughs> Brian's laughing because I'm pretty sure it's true. <laughs> um, we'll edit this out as well. I have very dark hair, very dark curly hair. I'm just saying. I do. Just saying. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's one of those things that, um, that like in... In working with, with this project, I, I really, um, I mean, I have the culture, the cultural background, and a lot of the experiences, I think, from a lot of um, Latinas or Latinos in, in Chicago. And so a lot of people, when I was going to them and asking to interview them and talk with them for my project, they, like, were very skeptical. And at first I, I had to be like, hey, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm one of you. And then as yeah. soon as as soon as soon they knew that I was kind of within their community and yeah. could understand, um, then they completely opened up. But it's interesting to kind of... Yeah. see that that difference of um like the in out group <laughs> phenomenon yeah. so yeah well, do you feel like um do you feel that that kind of shapes your um your your uh pursuit of environmental justice or your 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 interest in in being active in environmental justice that you know to a certain extent you you're a bit of an you know, feel like a, a bit of an outsider sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, um, people can't look at you and say that you are a Latina, or does that make you feel a little bit more passionate, you think? Um, I don't, I feel like I, I definitely, as far as when people come at, come to me and, and if they, they make certain assumptions, Don't quote switch, you could have said came at, come at me when you, you know, just. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. um, but I think it, it doesn't necessarily make me more passionate I think about environmental justice but mm -hmm. more about my culture mm -hmm. like and and justifying mm -hmm. who I am mm -hmm. I feel like it's always kind of been a a justification mm -hmm. um and the environmental justice aspect I think is just 
trying to get, yeah, with that cultural identification, trying to get more of people that are like me and people that can relate um, into the environmental movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's one, one thing that, um, that Brian and I have talked about a lot, too, is that, um, especially with, with um, communities of color, drawing on those natural cultural um, uh, themes or or um, behaviors that are sustainable mm-hmm. that are already ingrained in culture because there are times when we we assume that certain communities of color don't aren't naturally sustainable or aren't, aren't naturally thinking green yeah and, you know it's when you're when you start to think about those things you've already been doing um, as a as a as communities um, that are sustainable and are um, are make sense um, to kind of start with that and find that um, that first, um, you know, and you know, and then going back to our hashtag Dusabo, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fact that you know, thinking about those things that we've already been doing mm-hmm. and had been historically doing, um, and and it, even too, but we've talked about too um, the things that we've stopped doing and yeah. in our generation and. Mm-hmm more recently and thinking yeah. about going back to what our grandparents were doing and our parents were doing that yeah. were greener, that were much more sustainable and for economic reasons or for yeah. a variety of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but anyway, I'll let you get back no, to, to um, what you were saying. I mean, I feel like that's, that's something that's really interesting and something that I've encountered a lot um, since I, I moved. I'm going to grad school now at Cornell. Um, and a lot of the discussion that we have whenever I have talks about environmental justice or inequality, especially in the environmental movement, there's a, a lot of um, basically putting intention to be environmental and the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the time when we're talking about environmental justice, like we're really concerned about the outcome and the intention. Um, the intention is often like, lost amongst minorities or perceived to be lost amongst minority groups or uh, marginalized groups. Um, And so that's something that I'm really interested in is um, talking about communication, the way that we talk about Mm -hmm. environmental issues Mm -hmm. and how does that either push or pull people away Mm -hmm. or towards environmental things. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was a big thing I found from my undergrad research is that a lot of the Latinos didn't identify as the traditional environmentalists mm. or the stereotypical environmentalists right. and there's this yeah. perception or a dichotomy mm-hmm. between uh, what you perceive to be an environmentalist and what you actually do mm-hmm. right. um, and there's other studies that I've found um, working with some people at Cornell that also that look at identity definitely having yeah. having an impact in the lack of um, the lack of environmental identity um, mm-hmm. just with the term environmentalist or environmentalism it kind of has this weird connotation that puts people off yeah. Um, and so that's something I'm really interested in right now and probably will will pursue is trying to understand how the way we even talk about the terms nature mm-hmm. and um, an environmental and or environment in general or wild wild wildlands what am I trying to say I don't know <laughs> there's a word <laughs> my, my or just the wild the wilderness there we go yeah. that's what I was trying to say um, it's still early as we record this podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, but like traditionally, all of those words, it, it just reflects a certain person's or a certain group's view at a particular point in time, mm-hmm. and it just gets translated and doesn't get changed yeah. over the years yeah. um, or decades or whatnot. And so, assuming that that, that terminology still works for mm-hmm. an ever changing population is kind yeah. of yeah. not necessarily the best and, and maybe needs to be reconsidered and is being reconsidered by a lot of organizations. But. And, it, and that's a great that's a great point because you know well a couple of different things came to mind as you were speaking you know the the um, the perception of how people of color um, utilize nature or mm-hmm. the outdoors or the environment you know so our good friend Viva mm-hmm. uh, Yaboa who was on our last recording um, is the uh, chapter leader for outdoor Afro Chicago um, Chicago slash Northwest Indiana and you know there's this perception that people of color don't like to hike yeah. and camp and you know nowhere was it better illustrated than the uh, the funnier die skit with uh, uh, was it was it Mar- Mario Van Peebles I think or the um, Blair Underwood from mm-hmm. uh, um, um, from uh, L.A. Yeah. LA Law. Yeah. Going back to you want to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> he's the one guy that wanted you know, he's the one 
person of color in this entire skit out in the wilderness and all these white people kept seeing him and I think, you know, he thought he was trying to mug him or that he was lost and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, because, but we do use the outdoors in that same manner, but then we also, you know, we, we do it differently. I mean, like, you know, you look out in the Calumet region and different woods and different preserves are different used for different things. One's used for fishing, one's for used for hiking, one's used for birding and, you know, never the twain shall, inter, you know, mm-hmm. shall be mixed, you know. So, yeah, it is. And, but the language, too, around, um, you know, some people say wilderness, some say open space, some say green mm-hmm. space. Um, but, you know, just looking at the environmental field in general, I mean, like, I'm a couple years your senior, and I remember when I graduated from college, we weren't using the term sustainability. We weren't even using the term green. Yeah. You know, green wasn't the catchphrase. You know, we were using, um, you know, we were referring to the environment. You know, mm-hmm. we were using environmental and environmentalism and environmentally friendly and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But then the term green was introduced. Now we're using the term sustainability and or sustainable, and now resiliency is mm-hmm. being yeah, introduced. You know, so, like, when will we, at some point in time, we need to kind of figure out the baseline language and develop uh, actual ways to differentiate each, you know, because envir- me being environmentally friendly may not necessarily be sustainable in a lot exactly. of ways, you know, so... Um, you know. So what are you? So fast forward a couple of years, you graduated from Loyola yeah. in 2014. Did you have a? Did you do a step program while you were at Loyola? <laughs> step is um, solutions to. Loyola has a program called the um, Solutions to Environmental Problems. It's a class okay. that most senior level students in the environment in the environmental studies has to take. I believe. Yeah, you have to do um, some form of an engaged learning class. Okay. Um, so that's uh, that's sort of what I was talking about earlier, where it's a it's a project where you engage with either improving, doing a project that improves something on the little campus or in the local community. Um, and so, Brent did a great job transitioning. Uh, <laughs> I did um, a step food class. Um, so that was my junior year. Um, and so that class, we um, basically divvied up and um, chose or four main projects that were related to food. And it's really interesting because it's not a it's not a typical class format um mm-hmm. you have you kind of have a facilitator mm-hmm. um and then you have guest speakers from a whole bunch of different departments mm-hmm. that are talking about food issues so oh. learning about agri- like the history of agriculture um <coughs> learning about um we had some people come in and taught us like how to properly like can food mm-hmm. um and so food preservation and, and like how it's important um so it's it's a really interesting class but um so that class kind of started me sort of on on the way of, I guess, advocacy work in a in a sense. Um, I worked on a project trying to get um, more sustainable food on campus mm-hmm. um, and through the dining halls. So we worked with the Real Food Challenge group mm-hmm. um, in trying to jump start that and just get an idea of where our baseline was. Where is Loyola's food system at currently? Mm-hmm. And met a lot of resistance and. Um, and so it was a little disheartening, and our project wasn't as fruitful as we hoped. But it the was pun intended. <laughs> the pun may have been slightly intended. <laughs> um, but it was really interesting because we were able to do. Um, I learned some stuff about like power mapping and how to um, how to understand like who is actually in positions of power and how do you mm. try to navigate and like have meetings with people that are influential and have mm-hmm. and have the power to maybe make decisions or influence others. Yeah, extremely important when yeah. you're working in community organizing and mm-hmm. kind of grassroots organizing, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah, so um so I did that and and um some other like random projects. Okay. <laughs> but cool. Yeah. cool. Um so I so I the year you took it was just food. And I think the step program they food, water, and waste are the three topics mm-hmm. that they usually look at. Yeah, they um, rotate through them. They rotate year. through them. Um, so depending on um, the year or time of year, so you can only take I believe water in the fall. Okay. Food in the spring mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. waste. That's the biofuel program, which I actually have no idea. When that one? Very yeah. much. Yeah, I have no idea when when that one's offered, but I know they've done a lot of they've done made a lot of progress on that yeah. and now all of Loyola's sinks have like the bio soap which right. is a byproduct um that came out of that class and they have yeah. had like a whole marketing campaign for it which is cool yeah. so the um biofuel program that you speak of is that weight uh weight 
Wakeman, mm-hmm. I think is his pronunciation. He's, um, he was a Loyola student right. who um, took the STEP program, I think like the first or second mm-hmm. STEP class. And so he took one of those topics, waste, and he decided, oh, you know, I want to make, I want to deal with, you know, uh, uh, bio waste. I mean, you know, um, uh, waste, um, waste oil. Yeah. And so um, he took like food, you know, cooking oil and started up uh, started up what's become one of the largest biodiesel labs in the state of Illinois, is my understanding. And now they mm-hmm. have, um, they're also making bio soaps, making soaps out of the um, waste oil as well, or waste cooking oils. And um, it's throughout the entire city. I mean, excuse me, throughout Loyola's entire campus, and I think on a couple other campuses as uh, well, yeah. right? I think so. I think it's expanded since then. Yeah. Um, and they've been helping other campuses, yeah. Yeah, um, like DePaul University. Yeah. Their, um, their fleet is powered by that biodiesel mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, our shuttles yeah. Were, um, were powered by the biodiesel as well. So the, um, Loyola has two campuses, one downtown, yeah. one in Lakeshore or um, Rogers Park area. Mm-hmm. And so they have a shuttle, and that was completely, that was the first kind of place where I think they were using the bio, wow. the biofuel, and the biodiesel. Mm-hmm. Were you, um, so, but it seems to me that Loyola University, like their um, environmental, their environmental classes are more towards they seem to focus more on zero waste and waste mm-hmm. materials management than also urban ag in a lot of ways. Yeah. But so did it, did it feel like you were kind of um, kind of an outlier, kind of out of place there at times? Because you seem to have more of an environmental justice, social justice. Yeah, um, when I was there, it definitely. It's just really interesting. I think either looking at both Loyola and Cornell University right now, mm-hmm. um, and look at the programs that are offered. I feel like. The human human dimensions, which is um, what we call my lab over at Cornell, it tends to be a small subset. Um, and that was when I was at Loyola my senior year, it was the first time they offered any class that was called like human dimensions and looking at um, dealing with people and researching people, understanding how, how they engage with the environment, um, how to basically do solid research around, yeah. around those kinds of things. Um, so I, I feel like sometimes I I feel like a fake environmental <laughs> or a fake science person, I guess, even though I know that's that's not necessarily the case. Um, but I think that the social sciences versus the hard sciences and urban ag is, is very, I would consider to be like hard sciences and, um, yeah. and looking at waste management solutions also mm-hmm. would probably be in that, in that vein. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Cause even then, I mean, it's about, um, it's about, uh, understanding how people use those mm-hmm. materials. I mean, I, um, yeah. I did a, um, I went to visit my, some family in um, Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago, about a month or so ago at this point. And while I was there, I visited um, this uh, nonprofit uh, social enterprise called the Eureka Recycling. Mm-hmm. Their, um, their uh, municipal recycling facility um, that deals with, uh, with solid waste. And, you know, the metrics that they're looking at are not just the tons of waste diverted, mm-hmm. but they're looking at the impact on human lives, but then also looking at, you know, the, um, they're also looking at, you know, the, the, uh, monetary aspects of this material that they're producing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and they're, re- they're producing a lot less residual, which is the, what goes into the landfill from a recycling facility, mm-hmm. because they understand the uses of those materials, how people use those materials in a much broader spectrum than, you know, even a company like Waste Management or Public yeah. Services, the big boys in materials management and um, waste hauling, they just look at big commodities of these organizations want plastic, so I'm going to bundle it up and send it to them, and these guys want metal. And, you know, this waste-to-energy facility over here can incinerate this lumber for, uh, you know, for, for uh, energy production. Great. However, there's a lot of other burgeoning fields if you understand how people in the in, in this industry operate and what they use, you know, how you can make how you can monetize those materials as well. I'm not gonna say drop this on the podcast because that's my that's my um, that's my <laughs> that's secret your... sauce. That's my you know what I'm <laughs> See, so, yeah. yeah. I mean yeah, that being your secret sauce, mine is I, I feel like the way where I've sort of landed is is perhaps um, very niche. Um, so I'm really interested in environmental sociology in a sense. Um, and so really understanding how do people, 
have positive attitudes towards the environment, what are significant life experiences that, that people have that will maybe kind of put them on an environmental track? Mm-hmm. Um, understanding how people interact with one another and how their interactions influence whether mm-hmm. or not they're likely to adopt particular practices, mm-hmm. how norms, cultural norms or societal norms influence that. And I, I feel like, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely in, a, in a very like niche minority yeah no pun intended, area. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, you said you were, you were, um, you know, going to be pursuing your PhD. Mm -hmm. So where do you see yourself after that? What sort of a role or what sort of an impact Mm -hmm. um, do you see yourself having Mm -hmm. with the, with the work that you're doing now and working towards? Um, So I, I'm also bucking the trend over at Cornell because most people are, that pursue PhDs are definitely in the academia track. Like they want to be professors, they'll do the whole postdoc, so on and so forth. Um, and really, I want, I, I was initially just planning on doing a master's because I really want to be on the ground. I really want to be working um, with organizations to try to improve their ability to engage with marginalized communities or um individuals that they aren't necessarily incorporating into into their, their work or their plans or programs. Um, so with the PhD, I'm hoping that I'll have the opportunity, A, to kind of um, work work a little bit more and, and get my feet wet more about and have a better understanding of how, how people work and how I can have make organizational change or... Um, engage more people mm-hmm. and so I want to try to get in on the organizational level but maybe a little bit higher up where I can mm-hmm. help to steer or um, at least make some suggestions as to how how to broaden um, broaden the scope or reframe the way that that they're communicating about things mm-hmm. um, yeah so I, I guess that's that's ideally I, I initially wanted to just work with smaller organizations but now the more that I'm in it I feel like yeah. the bigger ones definitely need. Or yeah. where where we we would need the help and yeah, are you um, thinking um, not you know like nonprofit mm-hmm. private? What do you think? Um, I all think of the above. <laughs> 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 let's not limit myself at this point. Um, I I I think nonprofit was where um, yeah. where I think I would feel the most the most at home. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't I wouldn't write out other possibilities like I'm still not necessarily writing off academia if, mm-hmm. if it gives me the opportunity to kind of do similar things like what Loyola does with the mm-hmm. engagement I think is mm-hmm. a huge yeah. a huge part like I just really want to work with people I really want to work in the community and help to improve to the situation it, though. I mean like there's it's so ideal. few and far between for yeah. universities I mean you look at Loyola and what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and they're literally doing the Lord's work over there at <laughs> you know, Lutheran College, right? But, I mean, they're rare in that a college yeah. that size would put their money where their mouth is, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about this environmental thing, but we're doing it, too, from the, you know, the IES, the Institute for Environmental Sustainability, mm-hmm. to their commitment to zero waste during zero waste week. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they, um, they won uh, zero, the zero waste week competition a number of years and they were in the top three a couple other years. And, yeah. But even, you know, con- the entire university, the Rogers Park campus, converted to pay- permeable pavers, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there was no one pushing or bucking them to do that. They just decided this was the right thing for us to do. Yeah. You know, you look at Loyola and then you look at um, Oberlin College and you talk about colleges and universities where um you know you we all are focusing on the number of students of color um within that are enrolled in the at the university in Oberlin I'm really you know is really um I've visited a couple times I'm really excited to say and proud to say that half of their um, half of the students in the environmental science department there are people of color Mm -hmm. um but then it's the same way with their staff as well you know their faculty and staff is half people of color, you know, mm-hmm. um, including their, uh, their uh, uh, faculty lead for the environmental science department is a um, man of color, you know, they, they, that's so rare to happen, um, but, you know, you see, I, I, we can name these two universities and probably be somewhat difficult for us to think of another one, I mean, maybe, maybe University of Michigan with Dr. Taylor, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. Dorsey Taylor, and 
and that entire like yeah. that's where like the birth of the EJ. Yeah. Like, well, whoa, whoa, not the whoa, 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 slow down. <laughs> slow I'm down. Just, you know, I'm, the birth of EJ was out in the Calumet region. You know, with Hazel Johnson. I, 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 I was. We'll argue. <laughs> I was just gonna say at least. Um, if we're talking about like the principles of environmental justice and the founders of those meetings are mm, at Michigan. I guess. They had <laughs> On to a drive national through. scale. They, I think they drove, they drove through, through the, <laughs> the South Side trying to get there and holler at my girl Hazel. <laughs> Connections. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I mean I think it is it is really it is pretty rare, and I, I think it also depends on... I think there is definitely a distinction between environmental justice and, and the environmental movement as well. Yes. And there's definitely a, a, a big divide between the two. Um, well, hold on. Describe it. What do you think is the... What, what do you think is the difference of the divide? From what I've seen or what... I mean, personally, I don't see them to as you. different. To yeah. you. Yeah. Personally, I don't, I don't see them. I feel like mm-hmm. they definitely need to... Encom- like, they need to be together and, and yeah. probably... Um, yeah. They're bridged in some some manner, but I feel like there's um, environmental justice movement is really I think founded in um, I mean it has a social justice component mm-hmm. which I wouldn't necessarily say is is the main focus, but it definitely yeah. differentiates it from the environmental mm-hmm. movement. And um, I think there's a lot more emphasis on public health. I was I was yeah justice. yeah the the health component and and kind of like those um, those social concerns mm-hmm. of of a lot of individuals that often are marginalized. And, and as a result, there's a lot of um, people of color that are in the environmental justice movement mm-hmm. but aren't in the environmental movement. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's where you see, and Tuxedo Taylor, like her study really yeah. showed that uh, a majority of, of environmental justice organizations have quite a few people of color, but when you look at environmental organizations, mm-hmm. it's lacking and it's been lacking and and people have been talking about it since the 90s that this is an issue but it hasn't changed um and so instead we just have this new environmental justice movement that does deal with the concerns of of um of local individuals as well as Mm -hmm. tries to improve um environmental quality and um and just having a voice and um ability to participate in environmental affairs yeah yeah. Um, so I think I think that's that's the difference, and I think that often the environmental movement is um, perceived as the stereotypical like, oh, it's just the it's the the tree huggers that are trying to combat climate change and yes. um, yeah. and and kind of like those big at least talking with people it's it's the big abstract issues mm-hmm. it's the the ones that you don't really know what the tangible solutions are right, and as right. a result it's kind of discouraging. The environmental, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I mean, I've you know I've said many a time. I, th- I look at waste as one of the first or biggest, you know, from my from my perspective, the biggest environmental justice issue. Yeah. You know, look at this Calumet region, and the big issue there is waste. You know, landfills and mm-hmm. has has waste generators and an incinerator, and you know, pretty, people say indoor air quality is the issue, but I mean, excuse me, not indoor air quality, but Air quality quality is the issue, but it is, but part of it is the particulate matter that's being generated from the incinerator, incineration of waste, the um, greenhouse gas emissions associated with the storage of waste on um, on landfills, but then also the, uh, the emissions, the carbon emissions from all these trucks bringing in waste materials and you know, hazardous materials, yeah. so on and so forth. That so that to me is the very first issue. But the greater environmental industry um, organizations, you know, and um, I love these groups. You know, um, some some I don't. <laughs> we'll leave that for a different time. Like, but you know, you look at the Alliance for the Great Lakes, and they do amazing work. But you know, we're talking. You know, they're not talking about waste um, waste in the Midwest, and we have a tremendous waste issue we have a tremendous waste problem here in the midwest we generate more waste um than on average uh per capita per citizen than anywhere else in the country i mean i think the last time i remember last time i checked the data um the average uh person in illinois generates almost twice as much waste as the average you know u.s citizen um, you know i think um four point four point four pounds a day is the average nationally eight point four pounds a day is the average here in the state? You know, I'll, I'll double check the um, f- the figures da- later, but it's somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're generating so much more materials. We're wasting so much, so many more materials, and we're, they're winding up in the waste stream, and that's using water, and that's using all these other uh, energy, and so on and so forth. So the the you know the 
the mainstream environmental industry. They're the tree huggers. They're, you know, hug a tree, save a whale, mm-hmm. you know, all that good stuff. Um, that stuff's important, but, you know, you go into the urban areas and there's not a lot of whales and not a lot of trees for us to hug, but you know mm-hmm. what there is, is a lot of factories spewing out a lot of, you know, a lot of carbon emissions mm-hmm. impacting a lot of poor people and people of color. And so we need to figure out a way to draw them into the environmental field, but then also into the environmental, uh, mainstream environmental uh, issues. But we also have to change the language that we use in the EJ industry to pull those mainstream folks over to us a little bit more mm-hmm. so that they can understand and appreciate what we're looking at. Because if all they're looking at is water conservation, here's how, you know, here's how EJ impacts water conservation. Mm-hmm. Here's how EJ impacts these whales over there that you're so concerned with, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like we have to figure a way to get them interested because they don't, they're not familiar with our issues. You know, there's no way, there's no landfills in Schaumburg. So why would somebody in Schaumburg be concerned about environmental justice issues, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, it's, um, and I think the, if I've learned a whole, my, one of my advisors is gonna laugh at this, but, um, one thing that I think really matters too is place, um, and that's something that I've learned a lot more about, and how place and, I mean, and context matters, and I feel like that's something that's kind of assumed but never actually kind of discussed, because what's gonna impact, and, and this applies to minorities, but um, or any marginalized community, rather, and, um, and, but anywhere, to be honest, is that the context in which you're dealing with is going to impact the way that people perceive things, their capacity to, to mm-hmm. be able to act, their capacity to engage, what are the issues that they're dealing with right now, what issues or concerns can they link to, to that environmental movement, and trying to find that bridge of, of, um, connecting kind of like the broader implications and, and the local concerns yeah. is is a tough one. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I would, it, it, it can be tough. It can be done. Yeah. It's just um, you definitely need both parties trying to think the other way. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're still stuck in our ways as part of the mm-hmm. thing too, you know. That's why I was asking what sec- you know if there's a particular sector that you would like to work in because yeah. you know you you know people from the private sector only see it from that perspective mm-hmm. and how to you know how to make as much money as humanly possible blah 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 you know the public sector is such a different you know so so different the outcomes and expectations are so different mm-hmm. um, and then even in the nonprofit sector I mean I th- you know we'll give the nonprofit sector this that there's that's the space to create and to innovate because you can try different things mm-hmm. and. You know, if it doesn't work out, you're, you know, you don't have to worry about um, the the um, investors, you know, it's a, very, it's a little different in that regard. I mean, you still have, you know, boards of directors and people that you answer to, but, you know, in your funders, but it's very different in, in that regard as opposed to, you know, in the private sector, you need to perfect how to make a widget and then monetize the hell out of that widget, you know, and I'm still, and as a recovering bureaucrat, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what what the public (laughs) sector lands here, so. Well, yeah, you know, and it's it's funny, I was reading, um, I was reading something about um, the difference between millennials and, um, and other generations and how, you know, people love talking about this and they're like, oh, millennials are just so this and stereotyping millennials and, Mm -hmm. you know, but, I, I, what I'd really love to see, and it's one of those things that, that I really do see in millennials, and, and it, research has said this over and over again, is that, yes, you know, millennials are much more comfortable with technology, and, and millennials, um, this sense of, uh, have a greater sense of um, community, mm-hmm. and generally, and granted, you know, I'm sure they're, they're, there's a specific group of millennials that that is true for but you know I think that that I'd love one of those things that I'd love to see happen culturally is those values that we we see from millennials of of this much more more of a skepticism of of business and um and companies and thinking about accountability and corporate social responsibility and I mean I, I if anything is to come of that in the next you know culturally from from that um um totally lost the thought I'm sorry I had a point but my point was really like this movement that we're all making 
as a society led by millennials um, for more accountability across the board of, yeah. of um, nonprofits, private sector, public mm-hmm. sector, and this greater sense of an understanding of our place in the community and how, you know, the things that we do with, with um, the sharing economy idea mm-hmm. and this sense, this greater sense of community and seeing more buying power of millennials, yeah. um, I think that that's something that we're going to see that is long, is much more sustainable yeah. um, as a, you know, thinking longer term as a society and as yeah. with economics and thinking less about... Um, about about boomers and and the values that boomers had and yeah you know and i think as as those boomers sort of retire out and 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 you see more millennials in the workforce and see more millennials in in positions of authority and and positions of influence in organizations we're going to see that that's going to really make a huge huge change in values of organizations yeah um but yeah, I mean, because that, that's just it. Like that sense of accountability at a nonprofit is so different from it, from you know mm-hmm. the private sector and and um, and, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm just totally lost the thought. <laughs> really spacey. I, I I was as soon as you started talking about millennials, I was like, oh no, she's gonna ask me. <laughs> no, uh, no, as a millennial, no. um, you know, and, and granted, that's a stereotype too because it but, is a yeah. certain group. It is a certain group that that is stereotyped as millennial and. And at, at times I think that, that um, you know, um, communities of color and millennials in communities of color are often, uh, aren't necessarily involved in that, mm-hmm. uh, but I think still um, may have the values. So, yeah. you know, but um, uh, anyway, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I was just going to say that, like, thinking, because I, um, I didn't even know I was a millennial until, like, 2011. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's a newer term. It like, is, yeah. The, the terminology. Because there was weird. Generation X and Generation Y and yeah. Millennials. And um, and I think one thing that... We keep coming up with all these... Oh, I'm sorry, go oh, ahead. Oh, no, you we, can... You yeah, no, I was just going to say, we keep coming up with all these new... All these new term, all this new terminology and um, stuff, but you know, like we haven't even perfected the existing terminology. I still no. don't know. It's like, where does Gen, Gen X end and Gen Y begin? And then where do the Millennials start? You know, yeah. Like, how is that... Like, you know, and then the generation like twenty years. So it's like, if I was a, I mean, like Juanita and I, I think are Gen Xers. Although I think Juanita's on the fall, like that, that 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 tail end. You know, she. But then there's Gen Yers, and then if you're yeah. a millennial, like, how does this break down? Because mm-hmm. you're, I'm not twenty years older than you. I'm close. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless I'm I'm yeah. mistaken, but um, yeah, I'm because. Every, I want every single year. (laughs) (laughs) I think, though, with 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 millennials, I think one thing that I've read that's supposed to, I mean, again, they're trying to make generalizations about an entire generation, which is hard to do. Um, But one thing with us is, um, are the, are the financial crisis and and our, and I think our concern with economics and our ability to get creative and think of Mm kind of, try to think outside the box but also be very conscious about about other issues um yeah i don't i don't i don't know where where millennials will will fall will fall in the end but it it definitely seems that our society is definitely changing towards being a little bit more engaged and knowledgeable about environmental issues at least at least being recognizing some of some of the big ones um i've read a few straw polls over the last uh, actually um I think one of them you sent my way, mm-hmm. but um, there are a couple articles and straw polls that indicate mm-hmm. that millennials don't really see themselves as environmentalists, yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. which is a good thing because, you know, you look at um, the millennials that come into, like, the Rebuilding Exchange, a non-profit social enterprise <laughs> create a market for salvage and reclaim building materials. They're open Tuesdays through Sundays, 10 to 6. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> 1740 West Webster, got that out the way. <laughs> We do it every episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I'm still gonna call you out on the shameless plug. Yeah, hey, look, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. So, um, but you know, I look at a lot of the folks that come here, and they're, you know, they have some of them have the capability of 
um, purchasing equivalent items at a Pier One Exports mm-hmm. or what Imports or whatever. You know, like more expensive at shopping at far more expensive stores, but they recognize the environmental impact of shopping at the rebuilding mm-hmm. exchange, and so they do that. Not not because you know they're trying to save a dollar per se, but they they're the environmentalism or the sustainability or resiliency or whichever term we're using this week <laughs> is kind of ingrained into into that generation. Mm-hmm, so they don't yeah. see themselves as... Um, Lauren Singer, you know, um, from, uh, is the young lady t- um, Trashes for Tossers. Have you heard of her? Mm-mm. So she's... Um, somehow or another, she decided to dedicate her life to going trying to stop produ- using, producing any waste. So she, um, over the course of like two or three years, oh, yeah, she produced like a mason jar worth of, worth of waste. And so she carries that mason jar around. She keeps these materials in the mason jar and partly because she's, she, she's determined and bound and determined to figure out a way to reuse those items or recycle those <laughs> items in the mason jar. But, um, you know, she's a millennial and she doesn't see herself as an environmentalist or um, anything like that. She just thinks it's, you know, it's just good to do. It's the, you know, why be wasteful? It's saving money. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's part of the thing. So there is a link between environmentalism, um, in, ingrained environmentalism and saving, you know, in, in economic, economic impact or economic savings. Yeah. Um, I definitely think, I think so. And, and I think that goes back to, I guess, two different aspects. One is, Again, whether or not this term environmentalist or environmentalism is, is even going to be relevant. Yeah. Um, especially if, if millennials are... Yeah, I remember that article now that I forgot. So maybe about a year ago or six months ago, something like yeah. that. Um, but if millennials aren't identifying as environmentalists and people of color aren't identifying as environmentalists, then when we're dealing with environmental organizations, what are we going to call people? Um, or, or do we even need to call people anything? Um, yeah. And so that that's one aspect. And then the second aspect is, again, kind of going back into, like, the intent versus the outcome. Um, and so do you have to have the intention to, to be environmental in order to do these things? If you, if you are concerned about money, does it have to be that, oh, well, this is environmental, and you have to recognize that, that what you're doing is good for the environment, or can you just basically have the same outcome of, of being environmental and doing environmental things, maybe for different reasons and different um, and having different motivations to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, you're having the same impact as somebody who is intently mm-hmm. trying to, um, to use reused materials to um, grow their own food, mm-hmm. things, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's for cultural reasons or economics or um, social reasons sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you a couple more questions about Humble Park and the, the yeah. humble beginnings in Humble Park. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> oh, so like, I, I lived everywhere. So yeah. So you lived in Humble Park for a little while. So we're we're mm-hmm. we're um what's that? Oh yeah, well, you the know north, the, yeah. Yeah, cuz you did wind up moving further and further north, right? Yeah. Well, so my um yeah, I ended up kind of staying sort of on the the north side ish, the north of north of north. Yeah. Um so my um but, my frame of reference is really, you know, um, uh, uh, anything south of like Chicago Avenue, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and primarily areas of you know w- that were uh, primarily people populated by people of color, mm-hmm. you know, lots of blacks, lots of Hispanics, yeah. Um, so you know, it is the youngest part, earliest part of my life. We lived in the Hilliard Projects, and that was in the shadow of the Fisk. Um, the Fisk plant and then the industrial zone along uh, along Cermak. Move out, fast forward a few years, we move out to the Calumet region, and then there's environmental issues there that we've you know already touched mm-hmm. on. You know, the birthplace of environmental justice. We won't. We don't <laughs> we, need to rehash. I, I'm I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm no not gonna fight to, the t- title. Yeah, 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 there's no reason for us to argue about this again. <laughs> Just know that you're wrong and I'm right, and we'll move on. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> <laughs> but then also there was a point in time where I lived near the back of the yards neighborhood mm-hmm. and so on and so forth and the uh, far west side. So, you know, there's all these really bad environmental issues around the space of places and spaces that I've grown mm-hmm. up. But like Humboldt Park is one of the one of the really nicer parks in the Chicago area, right? Um <laughs> now I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um I feel like as far as a green space goes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um Definitely. I mean, they, they have their own little, like, pond with, like, fish and, and lots of, of green space area. And I think, though, 
what comes along with it. Um, and where I was really interested in, in social justice starting out was um, there's still a lot of poverty, a lot mm -hmm. of crime, gang stuff was ridiculous where yeah. I was at. Um, and I mean, I guess maybe not compared to, to other areas, I can't speak to them, yeah. but um, but I know that, like, with the green space, it was, like, you don't want to go to Humble Park at night. Like, that. Right. that is a, or even, like, sun is starting to go down, you should be home. Um, and so, I mean, there's, there's those aspects, lots of abandoned lots and um, abandoned houses. Yeah. Um, so, I don't, it, it was definitely a, it, it was a different animal, like, having, because I've, I've lived kind of, yeah, I, I guess I progressively moved further and further north um, as I got older um, and making my way all the way up to Rogers Park, which yeah. is tippy-top. <laughs> yeah. Top. yeah. Um, city, yeah. yeah um, but I think just... I, I was really young, and I don't, I don't think I necessarily was able to understand everything that was going around mm -hmm. or going on around me until mm -hmm. much, much later and kind of, like, going back to the neighborhood and... Um, and I still have family that, that lives um, near that area. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember what the question yeah. was. Yeah, just, just different environmental issues. Right. I mean, it's, it may not be an industrial plant, in, yeah. you know, in, in that area, but it's a different environmental, yeah. groups of environmental issues. Yeah, yeah I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know what, like, big environmental issue it yeah. would necessarily have. Yeah, like I guess that's what I'm saying. It didn't seem like there was one. So, like, my um, passion for the environment is because of, you know, like, mm -hmm. looking at neighborhoods. From the outside looking in, I was like, oh, wow, they have this big, beautiful park here, mm -hmm. you know. Um, wish we had a big, beautiful park in my neighborhood, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, um, I guess, you know, when you look at, um, we have open space, but it's covered in slag in the Calumet region, mm -hmm. this, that, and the other, so we couldn't really, you know, it can't be used in the same regard. So, mm -hmm. you know, just looking at, you know, like, your... Um, affinity to the, your um, connection to the environmental field. So, it's. I was wondering if it was more based on, you know, oh, I was I was introduced to the open space and I fell in love with it, and then, but my life was shaped, you know, impacted by social justice issues, and so mm -hmm. I kind of put the two together. Yeah. Whereas you know, like I um came to it from, in, you know, social one of like the social the justice issues was you know the injustices around it, and you know. Just happened to, uh, just happened to kind of go in that direction, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I don't, I don't know that it would necessarily be like the. Yeah, I don't think I was exposed to any particular like blatant injustice mm -hmm. um, as far as the environment goes. Um, I mean, you can definitely still see, or you were able to see, like, because um, I had my parents are divorced, so my mom lived in Humble Park, my mm -hmm. dad lived like Portage Park area, mm -hmm. um, so like northwest side of Chicago, yeah. Yeah. and. I mean, you could still see distinct differences between yeah. the neighborhoods in quality, mm -hmm. um, in just like the feel of it is completely different, and it's it's interesting because one is a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood, another one is a well, I don't know what the makeup is, but back then it was predominantly like uh, Polish. Mm -hmm. mm, Portage Park. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, you have these distinct differences in, in groups, and I, again, I don't think I picked up on that very much when I was younger, and it was mostly. I got lucky. Um, like, I was still able, like, I just loved being outside, and um, and I think distinctly what got me into in environmental stuff in general was um, I got, I had the opportunity to go to a, a summer camp, like just the park district camps, um, but every Friday we would go to a forest preserve, um, and they would take us out and we would go hike, and but we would never be on trails, and so we would always, I know, it sounds, but we would, um, like, we would kind of go the off the beaten path, which, don't tell anybody that works at the Forest Preserve, they would hate us for making illegal trails. Um, but, like, we would cross cross a fallen, like, a fallen tree over a stream. And, like, in, in, the, inner, or in the city, like, you don't have op those opportunities to interact yeah. with nature. Like, that, it's, I think that's really where it comes down to is if it wasn't for that. And, yeah, you have a park. Um, but a park, I think, is vastly different. It's it's mm -hmm. manicured for human use. It's mm -hmm. um, not that it's unnatural or, or mm -hmm. not a good thing. Um, but well, oftentimes there's non natives, which is why we have the um the buckthorn and mm -hmm. the urban ash and all that yeah. kind of stuff. You know. Um, but but having having the ability like aside from like a tree in your 
in your front, on the little strip on your front yard, if you have that at, mm. at best. Um, or I've lived in apartment complexes. Yeah, just the, the lack of access mm -hmm. to nature and, um, or, yeah, or green spaces. Um, and then again, those were vastly different. Um, like there was a park that I used to go to that had like a little jungle gym and then it had like, there was, everything was either mulch or, or cement. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then it's like, oh yeah, there's like, there's no grass. If there's grass, it's just, it's yellow or just straight dirt. Um, yeah. and, and the exposure is just very different than yeah. when you go to other parts of, um, parts of, of the city or even like if you go further out into out of urbanized areas yeah so like i think i think the differences kind of scale the rural urban mm -hmm. urban dynamic as well as and then within cities as large as chicago mm -hmm. yeah. you have the different pockets um and because it's so big and the neighborhoods are so different and so vast yeah, yeah. um have yeah. we even talked about like what your um what your what exactly what your area of study is for your PhD we touched nope. based on the, on the do we have enough time to do that oh I think so okay, okay. Oh. um so basically unfortunately I'm not in Chicago anymore which is unfortunate but um well, you, I mean yeah. you know eventually you'll come back I'm, and, my like, plan is to come back you know, and, um, at some point in time, you'll remember an old man that was really kind to you, <laughs> you know, early in your uh, academic career. Um, Take pity on him and give him a nice little consulting gig to end his <laughs> career. So. Um, so basically what I'm working on right now, um, so my ma I'm working on my master's right now and I'll, I'll work on my PhD. My master's project is focused on understanding um, people's behavior and, um, and their perceptions of this place called the Albany Pine Bush in Albany, New York. Um, it's this early successional habitat, which requires like prescribed burns and um, tree removal, which can be really controversial. Controversial. So, trying to understand how people's sense of place and their attachment to a particular place influences their likelihood to support it in the future, um, especially if it's something that it's not a forest. It's not the prettiest thing to look at, um, and so trying to understand how that how that plays out. Um, so that's really understanding human behavior and human attitudes towards green spaces is kind of where that my master's is going um, and predicting behavior. And then my PhD, I haven't fully flushed it out yet, but um, I'm trying to work on communication probably and, and kind of taking a communication lens to investigating environmental, the way that environmental organizations communicate about, um, about change and how that influences um, people's likelihood to engage them, especially uh, minority communities. So I'll probably be working with uh, Jonathan Schultz um, out there, who's done a lot of work on um, minority identities, in particular Latinos, their identities with and how that influences their likelihood to accept climate change. Oh. Um, and so he's been working on stuff like that, and um, and I'm gonna help uh, co-author um, an encyclopedia article about. Um, about environmental communication around climate change and how to engage a diverse um, set of a, a diverse audience. So crossing from minorities to gender to um, basically everything under the sun. Um, so it's going to be a doozy. But uh, so I think that's that's where I'll probably end up is is looking at how communication um, influences the engagement of marginalized groups and how we can improve um, individuals. Uh, pro-environmental behaviors or um, their support for environmental activities uh, through through um, various communication efforts and, and the way that we talk about it again kind of looking at those what is an environmentalist what is environmentalism um, and how can we reshape that to incorporate more people into programs organizations or the movement as a whole um, well, and that begs the question: What is an environmentalist to you, Sarah? Nay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that pressure. Um, I would probably say it's anybody that that contributes to improving the environment, whether that's indirectly or directly. Mm. Um, I feel like. A lot of times, again, I'm, I think I fall in the camp that you don't necessarily have to have the intention. And a lot of people will say you need to have, like, all of the background knowledge and be um, well-versed in ecology. And I think that everybody can be an environmentalist in their own little way. So um, yeah. whether they know it or not, I think that, um, that, that that's a 
that's an element. Is whether they self-identify, that's different. Yeah. But um, Ooh, self-identification is that's a that's and that and that's where the issue. We I mean we could have a whole episode about that. Oh, like, you know, that's yeah. you're making me excited. <laughs> 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 I love talking about identity and self-identification and um, yeah, but that's um, I think if if I had to say give a definition yeah. on the spot that's hmm. what it would be that's awesome that's awesome yeah, yeah. um so. so i think the only thing we ha- that we have not touched on is like do sobbling like yeah we, we haven't yeah, yeah we, we should introduce that to you okay have we talked to you, have we, do you know what do sobbling is so you're familiar with the term columbusing correct yeah so Columbusing, you know, is like them taking our stuff and right. claiming it as their, like, hell, we just found this whole thing. You know, like, locks, like, you know, yeah. look at this. I'm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> you know, this, like, urban agriculture was like, you know, we, my, my granny had a, you know, was, was growing food in her backyard for years yeah. in, in the middle, in the inner city. But, you know, it's like they didn't call it urban ag until, you know, they put that, they started growing kale. <laughs> You could cut this. I'm sorry. I'm not angry. <laughs> but so, um, so dusabling is the effort in, 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 uh, as a couple reasons why, you know, so one, yeah. um, the amazing org- organization, uh, Wild Indigo, mm-hmm. which is focused, which focuses on bring, bringing more people of color in the Chicago region, they're, um, into open space and, um, and understanding and appreciating the environment. Mm-hmm. They celebrate their um, their organization's founding on Dusabel's birthday on John uh, um, John Baptiste uh, John Point Baptiste Dusabel's birthday yes. <laughs> and um, you know so but Dusabel is the founder of the Chicago area right yeah you know, he's, the, he's Chicago's founder and if you really think about it he found this place and you know I got to throw out really quickly we are recording in the re- at the rebuilding <laughs> exchange so all the extra sounds and stuff like that and the of, of um, lumber being cut. That's all yours for free. That's a bonus. Congratulations. You're now the proud winner of some audio. (laughs) You're welcome. So Dusabel is um, the founder of Chicago, and really he did that in a number of ways. One, that taming that wild onion. You know, Mm -hmm. he was an urban ag, he was the original urban agriculturalist in this region, Mm -hmm. but then also through fur trade. So, you know, he's, he was the original urban agriculturalist, you know, he had the, had the puffy vest made of pelts, you know, he had the big hipster beard, you know, so, I mean, he should be recognized a lot more than he is in the city, and so, um, Juanita and I decided that, uh, you know, as, you know, as a way of honoring him that we wanted to, um, you know, we wanted to take back certain things, and we'll do that by dusabling. So, urban agriculture is something that we're dusabling. You know, we have like amazing folks like Will Allen and Oren Williams and Emmanuel Pratt, and you know, so many others that are, you know, that are dusabling urban ag. Yeah. You know, um, but we don't. You know, I didn't have a particular dusabling moment this week. Did you have one that you want? No, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if we, with that being said, we we did give the definition. So, with with that being said, I do want to give a shout out to um, uh, uh, friends and colleagues over at the um, Friends of the Parks, um, yes, for their uh, standing strong in their fight um, against uh, um, not against the Lucas Museum. And I think far too many people misconstrue that what they were doing. They weren't fighting against the Lucas Museum. What they were fighting against was you know the city selling off our public lands. You know, the city, mm-hmm. Rahm Emanuel does not own the, the lakefront. He does not have the right to just decide that he's going to sell this property. The people who own that property is, are you and I and every mm-hmm. taxpayer of this city. You know, so I do, um, I'm, a, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And I'd be, you know, I'd lie if I didn't say that I wanted that museum here in the Chicago area. I just did not want it on that camp, on that museum campus, nor did I want the city of Chicago, the taxpayers of the city of Chicago, to pay half a billion dollars to demolish McCormick Place East so that we could build it there. You know, and how on earth are we coming up as a city, how are we coming up with half a billion dollars to demolish McCormick Place East when we're, you know, we can't pay our teachers what they deserve. We can't keep schools open. And my, ch- my daughters are in the classroom with 30 other kids. That's just asinine and insane. So, you know, I, I, um, I do appreciate, I understand the fight that they had. Again, it was not to fight off a museum. 
it was to preserve, protect and preserve our public lands. And thank you, um, Juanita Irizarry and the team over there for, for doing that work. Yeah, so, thank you for fighting a good fight yeah. for um, for the pe- people of the city of Chicago. Yeah. And maybe what we'll do is get um maybe what we'll do is try and get them on the um, on the episode on an episode very soon because you know one thing that people don't recognize and I guess they are you know this oh here's the discipling aspect right. so they're taking you know the open space they're bringing open space back to urban areas in a big bad way. And if you look at the makeup of that organization, they're all women um, working there right now. And of that staff, they're all women of color except for one person. So, you know, I think that's pretty damn impressive. You know, mm-hmm. so we'll definitely need to get them on the episode sometime, in the, get them on an episode at some time in the very near future. So, that being said, um, Sarah, did you have any parting words? Parting or? words? No, I'm just really excited that I now know what Dusabling is. <laughs> and and it's, it's a new movement. Uh, yep. No, yeah. Feel free to use it, yep. really. Yep. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go back to New York and people are going to be like, what? <laughs> I'm like Chicago Pride. <laughs> gonna have to have to disable some of our basketball players from the uh, from the Knicks very soon too. Yeah. It's very angry. I, so. I, we might want to cut the cut the audio before I have to that. <laughs> well, thank you and thank you for joining us. And uh, I hope uh, you know uh, listeners will join us for our next podcast.